You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. So imagine you're a parent. Some of you, it's a little bit easier than others. But imagine you're a parent and your little four-year-old says, Mommy, can, can I go outside to play? And you say, well, I don't know, sweetheart. It's 5.30 and we're about to go and have dinner. And I don't think that's a good idea. You're going to get dirty and then we're going to wash you up. So no, you, you, you can't really do that. So just stay here. And then you fast forward 20-something years. And what if you get a phone call from your 24-year-old calls you up and says, Mummy, uh, there's a whole heap of the kids out at uni, uh, they're all going to go and start playing frisbee. I was wondering, can I go out to play? Now, don't get me wrong, you know there are some parents that would hope that their 24-year-old still operates like that. <laughs> but <clears throat> it'd be ridiculous. You'd say, no, I don't know what you've got to study, I don't know what you've got to do, I don't know what you've got on your plate, I've, I've brought you up, make a decision. It would be ridiculous to continue to operate that way. Now, often we as grown adults, we ask the question, what's God's will? Lord, what do, you, what do you want me to do? And in many ways, when we think about our plans and God's plans, God says, make a decision. And that the heart of what we want to get as we finish off this wisdom series this morning, the four weeks we've been in here, is that God wants to make you the sort of person who naturally makes wise decisions. He wants you to grow up. He wants you to, you make the decision. I've raised you. I've, I've worked all this out for you. How? That's what we've been learning over these four weeks is that, that first of all, wisdom is having insight into the complex realities of life. It's having insight and it's been able to apply that insight into the right buckets. And then how do you get that wisdom painstakingly, slowly, slow burn, micro decisions? And you do it practically by grasping who God is And then because you grasp who he is, you grasp who you are, your flaws, your strengths. You grasp his master plan, the word of God, and you begin to move into that context where he can change you and shape you. But that's not good enough because we learned that wisdom needs to be seated. Remember, it needs to be like a knee. It It needs to be seated into strong, sound character. Because if it's not, then your decisions will fly off in all sorts of directions, no matter how wise they are. And now we come to the point where we ask, well, why is this so important for us? Because in some ways, you know that making, making the right decision in the wrong context, context can blow your life up and it can blow your friend's life up. And not only that, it's been important for us as a church to talk this through because before we start talking vision in coming weeks and months, we need wisdom, Right? What do we do as a church when there are multiple right decisions that we can make? That's what wisdom is, to be able to make the right decision when there are multiple right decisions. So the the thing on my heart always was, we don't necessarily need vision straight up, we need wisdom. That's why we've been in this season as a church. And now we come to the practicalities because really some people are thinking, okay, I get all of that, but what do we do when I've actually got to make a decision? What, what do I do with that? You see, a connect the dots picture, if you've ever seen them, they give you lots of little numbers from point one to two to three to four. And life doesn't seem to give you the numbers. I, I haven't seen them yet. I, there's no surefire guide in terms of how we get them. So what do we do when we need to make a decision? And here's why it's significant, because is it just me? But have you ever been the sort of person that when you've got to make a big decision, you get what I call analysis paralysis? You're like, 
there's so many different nuances and so many different decisions that you can make that you just freeze up. The great promise from this passage this morning is it's going to give you a framework to dissolve your analysis paralysis, to thaw you out of that freeze. And that is because, to, uh, to use the, the outline of a, a great man, Jonathan Edwards, one of the great preachers, that's because God can make your bad decisions good. He can make your good decisions better and the best is yet to come. That's what we'll see this morning. First of all, God can make your bad decisions good. Here in Proverbs 16, verse 9, it says, In their heart a person plans their course, but the Lord determines their steps. It's very similar back into chapter 3, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Very similar verses. And what it, here's what it's saying here. When it says all your ways, it means in all of your decisions acknowledge God and he will make your path straight. So here's what it means for us this morning. What it means is that you get to make the decisions in your life, but God has the final say. You get to make the decisions, but God has the final say. Now, we as humans, we don't know how to handle this. This is, this is off the charts because we think on, on one hand, yeah, our we're one of two ways. We're either our choices matter, and so therefore we're the ones that are shaping our future. And we heard a lot of that in Proverbs, the micro decisions. But on the other hand, we're hearing here that it somehow sounds like God has fixed this whole thing up. So which one is it? Are we making decisions or has God fixed this up? This just starts to scramble our head a little bit. And we think that either your decisions do matter or they don't matter. We're, we're either or, we're black and white, and the Bible says no, it's both. It says it's both. It's told that we are absolutely free and we are absolutely determined at the same time. Proverbs 16, 9. In their hearts, human beings plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. This is fascinating because it's saying your decisions matter, your choices. We learned that last week that the micro decisions can take you down either good paths or bad paths. So your decisions matter, but then there seems to be this dynamic, right, where it's saying your plans are yours, but what actually happens according to history, well, that's set by God. So in other words, whatever unfolds from that, the funny vapor trail of your decisions, that's up to God to shape how that works throughout history. And it's, it's 100% both. It's not, I don't know, 80% me and 20% God or 30% me and 70% God. It's 100%, 100%. You're with me? Their head starts to explode. We're going, how can this be? This is oil and water to us. We believe it's, I've said this once before, we believe that it's either, it's either Macbeth or McFly. <laughs> it's either Macbeth or McFly. You see, Macbeth, you know, when shall we three meet again in thunder, lightning or in rain? When the hurly burly is just getting a bit dramatic from my earlier classes in high school. Yeah, we know the tragedy of Macbeth came from the fact that uh, his whole life in the Shakespearean tragedy is played out because no matter how many decisions he's making, he seems to fall into the very prophecies that the three witches had made at the beginning of the play. So it seems that Macbeth's, Macbeth's decisions, they're fixed. But then you have McFly, who is one of the great characters of the 21st century. Marty McFly, of course, if you haven't seen Back to the Future. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to put it in the Pillinger Library because it should be standard viewing for any morning congregant moving forward. (laughs) 
But Back to the Future, you know, it's a whole series around the fact that Marty McFly goes back into the past and every micro decision he makes affects the future. And so Doc comes alongside him at the end of one of the movies and he says, uh, Marty, you, you, you are what your future is, so make it a good one. So in other words, we're either Macbeth or McFly. We're either, it's either fixed or every decision we make tinkers with our future direction. Now, the Bible, that is not the way that it sees it. The Bible doesn't say you have no choices. The Bible's not saying you're, you're Macbeth, nor is the Bible saying that you are McFly. <laughs> Rather, God so transforms your personal decisions in such a way that your future is fixed according to his plan. How the heck does that work? How does that work? He sent a prophet down to show us how that works. Uh, His name's Mr. Squiggle. He sent Mr. Squiggle down to show us exactly how that dynamic works because if you haven't seen Mr. Squiggle, he's uh, a wonderful puppet who uh, is able to take, basically, you would, you would t- uh, they would take this canvas of this mucked-up, messy canvas with a couple of black lines on it, and Mr. Squiggle would begin to draw all of these black lines, and at the end of it, I can't remember his helper's name. Can, it's like, Miss Pat, that's right. He would, t- Miss, he would ask Miss Pat to, 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 to fix the drawing because it looked like a scribbled mess, and then what would he say? Upside down. And so he'd take this scribbled mess and he would turn it upside down and this miraculous picture would emerge. It was beautiful. It was miraculous. It was incredible. What a, what a prophet he was, Mr. Squiggle. If, if, if Mr. Squiggle can take a mess of a canvas like that and turn it into a work of art, don't you think that the God of the universe can take your jumbled messes and make them good? He says, I can take your bad decisions and I can make them good. And ironically, if you get to read through this thing called the Bible, he gives you these whole life stories to show how it actually worked for real people like you and I. I think of Guy's case study. Would you like to hear one? Yeah, there was was a guy called Paul and he was all being smarmy. And at the end of the book of Acts, he gets in front of Agrippa and he says, I appeal to Caesar. And so he appeals to Caesar, he's in Jerusalem, and so he appeals to Caesar, and we think, is that good decision or bad decision? And we go, oh, that's a bad decision, because Agrippa said, oh, what an idiot, if he hadn't have appealed to Caesar, then he could have just gone free. Paul was in chains. A bad decision, Paul, because we know when the story goes out, he gets to Rome, and then he eventually gets killed there. Bad decision, right? No, upside down. Great decision. If he never had have gone to Rome, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today. The gospel wouldn't have spread out into modern day Europe and across into England and onto ships and down into this country called Australia and into the good decision. What about that um, smarmy little brat called Joseph back in the Old Testament? He's another case study. He's a bit smarmy. He's, he's making bad decisions. He's a bit arrogant and prideful because uh, he thinks he's the best of all the brothers and having all these crazy dreams of how they're going to bow down to him. And so they shove him in a hole. And then he, he ends up in a prison as a result of it all. And he stays there for years and years until he has a dream. And then he write a good decision or bad decision to be smarmy? A bad decision. 
Then at the end of it all, he ends up becoming the prime minister of Egypt in a time when Israel is in famine and these brothers eventually come to him. They don't know he's the prime minister. They're bowing down before him, pleading for food, and he goes away and he cries. Remember, wisdom is seated in character. Look at the character that's formed in the man. And he says one of the most wonderful lines in the Bible, which sums up this whole principle. He says, get up, brothers, I love you. What you intended for harm, God intended for good. Man, it's a mystery, isn't it? What, did God weave the tragedy in? Was it a mistake that the brothers did that? No, I'm mucking up God's prayer. I don't know how the sovereignty of God quite works. All I know is that it's both. It's both. And so he can take these bad decisions and make them good. Friends, some of you know, dare I say all of us this morning have bad decisions that haunt us. Little, little black squiggle marks on our canvas that we think are irreversible. But here's the ultimate Mr. Squiggle. That is the promise of Proverbs 16.9 this morning, that he can take your worst decisions on the canvas of your life and make them good. And how, that's how it stops analysis paralysis, because it means on one hand, you're responsible for your choices. So there will be consequences of that. But God so ordains history that this will, whether you intended it for harm or good, God will work this out in the end. So in other words, make a decision. Because even if it's a bad one, it's going to come good in the end. So he makes your bad decisions good, but he can also make your good decisions better. And you're thinking, how, how do you make a good decision better? My good decision is already my best decision so how does he make a good decision better he makes it better when you commit all of your plans to him here it says verse 3 of proverbs verse 16 it says commit to the lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed so in other words you make good decisions better by committing them totally into god now pause for a second here because your mind's about to run off going, yeah, yeah, I know this, heard this, I know how it works. Because there's a way, actually, and I caught myself out. I read this in a way that I thought, hang on, this is not what the Bible's saying here. You see, I don't know about you, but when I, when I hear this, that uh, commit your plans to God and whatever you do will be successful, here's how I read it, that I've got my little agenda here. And I say, God, yeah, I'm a Christian, I love you, I'm following you, so here's my plan, make it succeed. So in other words, I'm wanting to take the plan and, and because I love you, you're going to give it the big tick of approval. And that is not what this is saying. This is saying the exact opposite of what that means. What it's saying is that when you commit your plans to God, because you have committed them into him, then you will become the sort of person who is naturally successful and flourishes in life. Now, hold on to that word success because we're going to have to come to that at the end here as well because there's a question mark around that. But what, the reason it works here is because what the word commit here means literally to roll over onto. When you commit onto something, when you move to the other leg, you, you commit to that leg. You, roll, you place all of your weight upon it. That's what it means to commit. And so therefore what this is saying is that it's saying that when you commit your plans to God, you unconditionally trust him with all of your plans. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, it's, it's not our right to worry about what it is to succeed. It's our responsibility to, to be in him 
and leave the rest up to God. So that's what it means to commit all of your plans to God. In other words, to ask for God's guidance, his guidance in your decisions requires an abandonment of your agenda. You are no longer saying, God, here are my plans. I'm trusting in you and so therefore bless them. What you're saying is, I'm taking this whole lot, I'm taking all of my life, I'm putting all of this and I'm placing it over onto you. Lord, you now do whatever you will. There's a big difference, right? There's a big difference in all of that. I commit everything to you, God. Now that sounds restrictive. Some people are going, yeah, that's a bit restrictive. That's the very thing I hate about religion. Uh, that's why I don't want to get into this Christianity stuff. You know, I want to take Christianity up and, and I want to just see how it might help my life strategy. But I'm not putting the whole life strategy. I'm not putting everything on that. But what I, my challenge to you this morning is you do this all the time with different people. Uh, think about those who are daring enough to go flying. Those that are daring enough to get into those funny little metal tubes we call planes. You do this all of the time. What you are doing is you are committing all of your plans upon to that plane. <laughs> you are commit, you're rolling yourself over into the trust that you have in the pilot. And so we're, we are doing this all the time. And so therefore, to uh, another way we could put it is uh, commit to the pilot all you do and your trip will be successful. See the difference? And what is, what, is, uh, what is nuanced about it here is this. See, the trip is not successful by the act of commitment, but it's successful by the object of which you've placed your commitment into. It's successful not because you committed, but because of what you committed into. And so therefore, if it's a bad pilot, then oh, that's interesting. If it's, a great, if it's a great pilot, then it's a great trip. And here's the problem for you and me in life is that we talk about committing to God, but the back door's always open to the plane. We always run through life with a parachute strapped to our back, don't we? Yeah, oh look, Lord, I'm I'm committing to you in all that I do, Lord. And we always think we can bail. If it's not going according to my agenda, I think we can, at least I know in the back I can bail. I can pull out. And that's not what makes successful people because often life, it's inevitable that things will not go according to your agenda. And so that's why he makes not only your, your bad decisions good and your good decisions better, but here's the most important thing that you need to hold on to and that is that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Now you're thinking this sounds a bit simplistic and a bit overly positive, Sam. You don't know the sort of decision that I'm up against this morning. It's a bit simplistic, Sam. You know, you, know, I, I, you don't know what I have to commit to this week. You know, I've, I've got a financial decision that I've got to make and nothing good is going to come out of this. I've got to shut down a business this week and I'm going to incur losses that I don't think I'm ever going to get back. I've got to make a decision. I'm in the middle of a dark cloud of depression at the moment and no decision that I'm making seems to be good. I, I've, I'm in the middle of a relationship crisis here and nothing is going to come good out of this. There's a little bit... That's a little bit simplistic, isn't it? And isn't that the question? What, what do we do? How do we make a decision? When, ev- when In everything that we can see, we, we think no good can come out of this. 
Is it just wishful thinking? Oh, the best is yet to come. Is it wishful thinking? Let's go back, let's go back a couple of weeks to the verse that we had a couple of weeks back. Proverbs 4, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Verse 11, and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Don't despise the Lord's discipline. Remember that verse? And here's a deepest perspective on what that meant when we talked about it last week. What it means is don't refuse to imagine anything different from what you see now. When you are in the middle of something that you don't think you can get out of, don't refuse to imagine that there can't be anything better than what you currently see at the moment. It's the Xbox principle, right? The Xbox principle. Imagine, imagine you're a parent, you're coming to your 14-year-old kid who's been up since 6 o'clock playing the Xbox all morning, Call of Duty, shooting people everywhere. They're playing Xbox and you come up to them and say, uh, Honey, today we're going to go to Disneyland. And they just grunt at you. And they're just watching the TV screen. We're going to go to, I don't want to go to Disneyland. I'm playing the Xbox. But hun, if you can just put that down for a second, you've got no idea what Disneyland is like. Well, I don't care, Mum. I'm just playing the Xbox, all right? It's the Xbox principle. You see, when the kid's already got a prior agenda, what happens? You, you can take them to Disneyland, but what's, gonna, what, what's it going to be like? They're going to go there kicking and screaming. They're going to be there angry, resentful, bitter. You were ruined my Xbox moment. But let's just say for a moment that they're sound asleep in their bed and you wake them up with the wonderful supply prize and big tickets with big Mickey Mouse ears there and you hand them the ticket and you say, Honey, we're going to go to Disneyland. And they say, What's Disneyland? Oh, well, you wait and see, honey. It's got rides and there's Minnie and there's Mickey and it's incredible. Okay, I'll, I'll do it, Mum. We'll go. I don't know what it's about, but we'll go. Now, here's the thing. If there's no agenda, then how do they go to Disneyland? At the least, they go indifferent. Well, I don't know what it's about, Mum, but I'll go. And they go indifferent and their heads explode with the scene that they've got there. At best, there is joy, there is wonder, there is, there is awe, there is everything associated with the magic of what that place is. And so what it means for you and I this morning is we're like the kid with the Xbox. You see, if there's no alternate agenda for you in life, if you go in, if you've committed everything to God and you say, my agenda now rests in him, then at the least we go into life indifferent. At, at, best, we, at best we end up in Disneyland. <laughs> at best we see that. If we go in with our prior agendas of what God is supposed to do for us in life, then we, go, we get dragged through life kicking and screaming. Even as Christians, right? I call it the negative will of God theory. You know, oh, trust in him in all your ways and he will make your path straight. I, I'm a Christian. I'm trusting in him. <sighs> we get dragged kicking and screaming through life. Because this hasn't gone my way and this is, not what I, this is not the way that the health was supposed to be and this is not how business was supposed to be, but I've got to trust in him. It's all very well to say the best is yet to come but how do you make a decision when no good you feel will come out of any decision here's how we do it as we finish up this morning you need to view success and remember i said you needed to think about how we put a question mark around that you need to view success through the lens through the glasses through the prescription of the gospel of jesus christ you see jesus knew what it was like to make a wise decision when it seemed like no good 
could possibly come out of this decision. He's, he's sitting there, he's sweating blood over the top of a rock. He's saying, Father, if there be any way that I can work myself through this, if there be any other strategy that you could just reveal to me now by your Holy Spirit, can you please tell me? I'd really like to know. And then he says, no, not my will, but your will be done. You know what he's doing there? He's not just praying. He's rolling over. He's all in. (laughs) He's cutting a parachute off. And he says, I'm, I'm all in. And he's become the sort of person who is successful, not by the world's standards. He's, there's a hopeless, bloody, torn up mess. It was a failure by the world's standards. And yet you and I stand here and we rejoice and we've got great community and there is love and there is power and there is this incredible dynamic called the church. And it's all because of that. It's all because of the plan that he was fixing out. <laughs> It's all because of the plan that Jesus was making the micro decisions and yet God had the eternal destiny of the world in his hands and fixed. He's not just praying, he's rolling over, he's cutting a parachute off. And this is what it means for you and I practically this morning. I guess, guys, you and I, gotta, we need to reflect on this and that is, why would, why would our approach to our agenda be any different from Jesus? Why would our approach into our agenda versus our plans versus God's plans, why would it be any different than the way the Son of God himself lived it out? Because this is, when I come into these, these moments in life, these times in life where things are not going my way, I have to understand what God's success is, and God's success is a resurrection. <laughs> I need to incorporate that narrative, the gospel in there, that when we suffer, we will become like him. Otherwise, we will become like the Xbox box kid and we won't see anything different. And we, The suffering is the taking away of the things that we hold tight to and we're not seeing Disneyland and we're not seeing the hope, we're not seeing the wonder of heaven and all that is there before us and the identity that we have in him. And what I realize in and of myself is that my best is yet to come unless when I viewed it outside the lens of the gospel. My best is yet to come. It never involved the death <laughs> You see, to have a resurrection, you always got to have a death. And my best is yet to come was always my comfort and my needs and my agendas. I wasn't viewing it through the lens of the gospel. God's best is yet to come always involves a resurrection. And so make a decision this morning. But don't make a decision that leads to your agenda only. And here's why. If you have your own agenda, you're going to go kicking and screaming through life. It's probably the perfect way to talk about Christianity, isn't it? The Xbox principle. You see, some of you may not be a Christian here this morning. And you're holding, you're holding onto your life like an Xbox controller. And you hear this young preacher saying, for heaven's sake, will you just put the controller down? <laughs> this, is, this is what is available to you this morning. This, is, this thing makes Disneyland look like a caravan park of what I'm calling you into this morning. Will you just put the controller down? Because, of course, in Christianity, it always requires an abandonment of your agenda. You've got you to roll over onto Jesus Christ this morning. You've got you to let go of that because I tell you what, you know, even in these young years, anyone who's here is a little bit older now understands that if you're running your own agenda, you will go through life kicking and screaming when it doesn't go your way. Give up early and avoid the rush. <laughs> 
Some of you, brothers and sisters, I know you've got tough decisions ahead of you. I know that your agenda hasn't gone your way. I know that there are things that are hurting. I know that there are situations in your life at the moment where you go, no good can come out of this. But friends, let us remember, he's the ultimate Mr. Squiggle. Look at his love. Look at his power. Look at the gumption that he would at least swallow his own medicine and take the same approach that he's calling you to this morning. That He is the God of all power that can make your bad decisions good. He can, he's saying, child, look at me this morning. You're, I can make your good decisions even better. And then he says, precious child. He kneels down next to you and he says, the best is yet to come. Let's pray.